The issues discussed on the Roll Call Room podcast do not reflect the opinions of any specific agency. Any characters discussed on this show may be fictional for comedic value unless you're a shitbag Steve. This podcast is rated explicit and listener discretion is advised. How many of you in the school this year, you have either, you've heard, you've seen, but somebody in this school, not you, but you have, have seen or heard a classmate talking about or entertaining the idea. And I need you to be honest. How many of you in this school this year, you have heard one of your classmates talking about or pondering the idea of maybe committing suicide and ending your life? Raise your hand. Hold those hands high. Hold them high. Because every one of those hands right now represents a heartbeat in this school. Every one of your hands represents a young man and a young lady in here that has been contemplating maybe giving up's an option. Maybe they feel like life's just too difficult and too tough and they feel alone and they feel isolated and they've seen it on social media and they've seen it on TV and they've got the idea that maybe I should just end my life and I see tears and I see the emotions because I know it's real and I want all of you that pick on kids and how you treat people and how you are tearing people down you need to realize how you are treating us is causing some of us to think that possibly ending our life is a solution. Your words hurt us. And you know what the truth is? A lot of you wear masks and you treat people a certain way. But the truth is you hide behind your mask because you probably have battled suicidal thoughts yourself. And so you mask it and you act like your your skin's thick. But really on the inside, there's times you feel alone and feel abandoned. And I hear the tears, man. All of you listen to me, young men. And young lady that's in the school right now, any of you that have been contemplating and you've actually thought about, maybe I should just end my life. I would be the very first one to look at you face to face and tell you very boldly, but very matter of factly, don't you dare die. Don't you dare believe the lie that ending your life, don't you dare believe the lie that ending your life is any answer or any solution because inside of every single one of you that have been contemplating maybe I'm alone and I'm isolated and nobody cares about me and I feel is a lie. You are not alone. You are not by yourself. There are people and friends and family and teachers, people here that believe about you. And if you end your life, and I know this is painful and it's wrong, the emotion is here. 
But these are real issues that you and I and we are struggling with. And you need to understand, every one of you that have been contemplating and even embracing or entertaining the idea, you need to know inside of every one of you is something so special and so great. And if you rob yourself of what you were destined to be, if you and listen, you know why I talk about suicide? I talk about suicide not because I read books about it, because I wanted to talk about it. I didn't want to get educated about suicide, so I wanted to learn about it. I talk about it because I know when those kids, how they treated me and the words they used to say to me. I know what it was like when I was living with my sister and she went to work and I climbed up into the garage when she was gone and I climbed that ladder and I grabbed that rope. I know what it's like to be on the brink. And I'm telling all of you in here, young men and young ladies that have been battling some of these thoughts, it's a lie. Look at me. And I can, I can spot out many of you that I know that these are the thoughts that you've battled with this year. They're lies. Don't you dare rob you of what you're born to be. Listen, you're not alone. There are many of us that battle these same thoughts, these same pains, these same struggles. But inside of every one of you, I promise you, if you believe the lie and actually try to take your own life out, you're robbing this, this community, this school, your family, and you're robbing yourself of what you were destined to be. Because inside of all of you who are battling the ideas of giving up on life, you're robbing, some of you are born to be doctors and scientists and teachers and entertainers and musicians and radiologists and social workers, counselors. Some of you are born and destined to do amazing things that can impact and change this world. And if you believe the lie and you let the life and the world try to take you out, you are robbing us of what you were born and destined to be. Listen, my little girl, I have a little girl that's 18 months. In the future, she could get sick and have some disease. And maybe you're the one that's born and destined to create the cure. And if you end your life and you rob us of what you were born to be, I need you. And those next to you need you. You're not alone. Don't believe those whispers and don't entertain those thoughts. And welcome to the Roll Call Room podcast that pissed off shitbag Steve Commanders and cost my daddy his job and then pissed them off yet again with his number one book, Mental Health Barricade on Amazon. And now your host, my Uncle Mike and best-selling author, my daddy. Fuck you, Commanders. Up your ass. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Roll Call Room Podcast. I am your host, Nick. Mike. Um, Mike is missing. Uh, we have no idea where he is. There's posters out there. Um, we're confident that he'll be found. I'm sure it'll either be at a Harley dealership or at um, Michael's Crafts. 
Uh, he's been crocheting a lot. Uh, but instead, with me uh, is uh, Ernie uh, from Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops. Ernie's been on before. Uh, Ernie, uh, now I can say best-selling author, brand new book out. Uh, welcome to the show, Ernie. Pleasure to have you back on. How you been, bud? Man, I have been doing an incredible. And yeah, you're right, man. But I finally got my hands on a copy. Man, my Did you really? Back and I can hit Amazon. And oh, Amazon. Oh, I lost you, Ernie. Hold on. Yeah. Repeat that again. Uh-oh. Okay. They didn't hear anything yeah, so that my, you said. My wife went behind my back. That's probably a good thing for my wife to leave anyway. So. Yeah, so she went behind my back and she ordered a copy of the book from Amazon. Oh, and that's awesome! About the Amazon driver. Yeah, he's always at the house, and I'm starting to wonder, like, why is the Amazon driver like always at the house? And we always have a ton of boxes showing up, but yeah, hmm. But uh, yeah, so this was a pleasant surprise because I, you know, we, you know, since the book has been released uh, by the blessing of the Lord, man, we're number one uh, right now yes. for new releases. Uh, and Which I never is, had. I haven't even had a copy of it yet. So it's amazing. That's crazy if you think about it, right? Yeah. Well, the the interesting part is is that what people don't know is when you self publish a book, um, you have to wait for your author copies, like, and you have to pay for your own author copies. Like, they don't give you the copies for free, like unless you're Stephen King or or somebody like that. So, like, our author copies aren't even supposed to be here till like the first week of February. And then, like, you have copies coming, and then I have copies coming, and then we have to ship each other copies to sign them so that we can send them out to people that have pre-ordered them. So if you pre-ordered it, uh, just bear with us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit. But we can go on Amazon and get our own book delivered to us the following day quicker than Amazon does the author copies, which is bananas, just bananas. Um, so... How's it look? I haven't. I don't even have a copy of the book, man. How's it? How did it come out? How does it look? Oh man, it, it, it looks good. It feels good. You got the little girl from Poltergeist man, on the cover, which is beautiful. <laughs> My favorite actually is the back. I mean, look at this guy. Um, so I appreciate that, man. That that's compliments of you, and I know it was. So thank you, Nick, for doing yeah, that. I, I, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I read, I read through it last night. So yeah. Uh, easy read. And, and it was a huge surprise. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I gotta really put this easy. out there, man. No. One, one typo, right? In my session, which those happen, right? But this particular typo was colossal, right? Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, no spoiler. Yeah. Oh, man. So, in a portion of the book, no spoiler here, but I talk a little bit skills. Mm-hmm. And there's one particular skill called an iMessage that is very important if you're able to use it, right? I mean, that is your, that is your go-to money um, statement. So if you right. can use an iMessage, you can connect with somebody in, in, a, in a crisis, right? So in it, I said, that's what I sent. I put iMessages are liquid gold. Well, it got to my message is liquid gold. <laughs> it makes me sound like some kind of conceited 
uh, know-it-all, and I'm like, oh, crap. But, but has anybody pointed it out other than you noticing it? My wife said, why would you write something like Because she was reading it to herself. She goes, hey, i got to ask you a question. Why would you say this? And I'm like, I'm like, I didn't say that. So I pulled out my copy. I'm looking at like, I don't know how this thing, did it go through another spell check? Like, oh, oh man, no. i got to explain this. So I, <laughs> I sent a message out last night uh, on Twitter, and, and Pete Havel, who wrote, you know, Arsonist, um, in the workplace, uh, he said, oh, man, mine had like six or seven typos. But, you know, you can fix it. And these things happen. Yeah. Donna Brown, she came on and, and, and said, hey, these things, uh, I just thought of all the typos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why that one? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 um, it's amazing. Like my first ever book that I put out, that one I put out in such a fury, like in such a rush, um, that as I put it out, I didn't wait for the editor to send me the edited copy, uh, which was really dumb. I just was so excited about getting it out. And then the flurry of emails and messages come in from people that are grammar, uh, that are just grammar people. They're like, Oh, you can't use this with that word. And you forgot a comma here. And I was like, listen, listen, I'm a cop. I, I'm not like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't spell good. It's a New York City public education, you know, like, uh, but it's the message. Um, you know, it's the message that goes out. And I think it's being very, very well received. Um, when, uh, when originally, when, when I reached out to you and I said, Hey, we should do like a collaborative book together. Uh, and we were, what we're really calling this more is like a training. I want to say a training manual, but it's a resource for, uh, newer officers to, uh, get the skills that they need in different areas. Um, so my plan was, is to put out a series of books, uh, on one on mental health and de-escalation, one on traffic stops, one on subject stops, one on homicides, one on, um, you know, um, uh, report writing. Um, and originally, I don't know why, but originally I had asked you, I said, are you interested in doing a homicide one? I don't know why I asked you that. Like it didn't make any it didn't make any sense. And, and you and I collaborated and you were like, what about like de-escalation and mental health? And I was like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like, what was I smoking? Like, I don't know why I asked you about homicide. It was weird. Um, it was one of those moments, like afterwards, I was like, why did you ask him to do a homicide? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, well, well, when you asked me, I'm like, all right, well, let me, let me put some thought into this. And I'm going through my mind of all the homicide scenes that I've worked. And I'm like, I've actually got some stories, although it's a morbid subject, like to bring yeah. a little bit of light to the topic. But at the end of the day, I mean, I was never a homicide detective. So I don't know if I've got the skill set to really sharpen a new officer to say, hey, this is what you should really focus on. Right, right. I know a little bit, right, about it. So we can, uh, we can talk about that. Yeah. My, my take on it is only from a supervisor's standpoint because, um, I never, I, I wasn't one of those guys that wanted to be a detective. I, I didn't, I really wasn't, um, no, that wasn't the route that I wanted to go in. Mine was community policing, crime prevention, you know, mental health, that kind of stuff. 
Um, so for me, the, the, the one for homicide that I'm, I'm, I put to the back burner because I really want somebody, um, to partner with that, that like did it, you know, like can turn around and, you know, somebody that like was on the first 48 hours, that's all they live and breathe. They just do homicides. Um, and I have somebody lined up, which I can't say who it is, but it is pretty awesome. They were, uh, the lead detective on a very high profile homicide, um, uh, that was in the media. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that, but back to, um, back to the book that you and I did was, um, it's, it was unique because we collaborated with, you did your part and then I did my part and then we just sent each other the parts. Like there was no, uh, it was a beautiful collaboration because it wasn't on a daily basis where we were like, Hey, I wrote this paragraph. You want to read it? And it was very, it flowed really, really well because your portion was at the end. My portion was at the beginning and it just was, it was good because, um, at least I think so. It was good because from my perspective on the mental health side, going through, uh, taking, uh, mental health medication and stuff like that, uh, it, it really reinforced the stuff that you were talking about in your portion. Um, and I think it's really good for the newer officers who are really in the academy or kind of just kind of getting pushed out of the academy very quickly. Uh, they're getting churned out very, very quickly to, to fill these huge deficits, uh, on the street. Um, do you, I mean, uh, are with the big, huge deficit that we have going on in the nation, I know, especially where you are, um, are you seeing that? Are you seeing academies really not fully focusing on the de-escalation and the mental health piece? Well, I don't think they ever have focused on it, you know, right. because of the amount of training, um, you know, really at any academy. We were fortunate in San Antonio to have the chief say now to the Academy of CIT class, which the only hiccup to that was a week later, these cadets would go into tactics and tactics instructors would say, okay, now I need you to forget everything you just talked to uh. about mental health and trying to communicate and let's get down to tactical safety. Come on, man. So we had to sit down with tactic instructors and say, look, this is, we're hoping to diffuse the situation before it has to get to what you're about to teach them. It's difficult to get there. If you're saying, Hey, everything that they were teaching, you get that crap. And let's yeah. focus on kicking ass and taking names because man, you've got to start listening to what the community wants, right? The community yep. wants a different approach to mental health. They don't want the same old police car pulling up with the patrol officer walking up in uniform and outer vests on and all the stuff they're wearing now who has four or five, six other two and not giving a, a, a proper response, right? They don't yeah. have the time to try to make a connection with somebody that's in a mental crisis. All they want to do is say, whatever's going on, let's make it stop. So I can get back and actually handle crime calls, you know, and it's like we're missing it. We're missing the point across the nation. Now, what I'm is departments are starting to integrate social workers with police officers to respond to these calls. So we're making progress, 
but a lot mm -hmm. of departments are kind of like building the plane as they fly it and they're not yeah. sure what exactly so i've had a lot of people reaching out saying how do we do this right and it's interesting you said something a minute ago about this being a like a training guide for new officers i was actually contacted last night i don't know if you saw the message but i got a message from a single mom mm -hmm. who yeah, read the book and left a very nice comment would you even buy this book? You know, I'm thinking oh, it's for first responders. And she said, well, my sister has mental health concerns. And your, yeah. your book that y'all wrote actually helped me understand my sister, understand about bipolar disorder and how to actually listen to her. And this book was instrumental in me becoming a better sister. So That's to me, incredible. Nick, what, what that said to me, is somebody actually become a better version of themselves? And if it only touched that one person, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. But it's going to touch a lot more. And and that's what's interesting. The first book that I that I wrote, uh, which was Police Mental Barricade, it was very personal for me because it it the book solidified that I'll never be in law enforcement again. Only because, um, I mean, in the first chapter I talk about um attempting suicide and 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 doing all that stuff and the stigma is still there unfortunately with law enforcement and all i wanted to do was get it out and i said you know at least if it helps one person that's on the job right now and they're feeling the same exact way it it's gonna do what i want it to do that was two years ago hundreds of emails man hundreds of emails from officers that are like you know, I'm going to go get help now and I'm going to go take medication. I was a little apprehensive about taking medication and, you know, I uh, was worried about the side effect. And, and I'm very open on this show about mental health medication. Um, I just switched again for the sixth time. Um, so folks don't understand mental health or um, medication for it. It's not a fix all like it's not it's not just going to snap things. And then if you find a medication, it's not going to work forever. You may have to wind up coming off of it because now it brings up a different uh, disability or it brings up a different problem. Uh, and that's why I'm, I've been on so many different ones, because now I know to look for side effects. Now I know that when I'm not OK, I'm not OK. And it's not OK that I'm not OK. Uh, it's, I'm not going to sit there and grin and bear it like I used to do it where I'm like, ah, just tough it out. Uh, there's some amazing medications out there. Um, and also you need to take ownership of your, uh, your health as well. Uh, doctors are very smart. They go to school for a really long time, but it is a service industry. Um, and you do have a voice if you're not feeling right, or it's not working, or your family is telling you that it's not working, or you're not acting like your you know, normal self, you need to be a, a assertive. I've been that way with my doctors, uh, specifically my psychiatrist, where, you know, they're like, you know, just tough this out for another couple of months and we'll see what happens. No, no, I, it, you have to take ownership of it. So I, it's great that that, that uh, lady, I saw that comment on online this morning. I think it's great. Um, but I think departments, let's be honest. I mean, we're both uh, former law enforcement now. The only thing that really impacts law enforcement agencies is money and liability, money and liability. 
And when you see, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I can see you laughing. When you see trials like Kim Potter and um, the Chavette trial, those are huge liabilities because they're paying massive amounts of money out um, from these agencies because of poor de-escalation, uh, uh, poor contact with mental health. Now, folks that are listening to this, I'm not saying that uh, what Kim Potter did, um, I'm not going to dissect that. Very, I watch that trial every single day. I have my personal opinions about it. Mike and I have talked about that trial extensively. The Chevette trial with George Floyd, we've talked about it till the cows come home. What I'm talking about is the de-escalation part. I'm talking about having somebody uh, that's on the scene be the de-escalation person, somebody that comes on and goes, all right, all right, all right. It, it is over. It's time to start sizing it down. And we saw that in Florida. Did you see the video? You, you're shaking your head. You see, you, did you see the video of yes. the yes. yes. So those of you that didn't, I would encourage you to go and on and watch that video. Yeah. Uh, so just to describe yeah. it is. Well, interesting. His name is Sergeant Police. His is his real name Sergeant Police. Yeah, I think that's, I, I mean, um, is that his name? That's that's what I saw online was Sergeant Police, who's been a officer for like twenty two. Um, he came to the scene as a supervisor yep. and poured gasoline on the fire. Yep. And a newer officer with only a few years on. Two years. Yep. Difficult thing. Yeah did the most difficult thing a new officer can do mm -hmm. and to try to right a wrong. And you are, are dictating how the rest of your career is going to go. Mm -hmm. Had that not been caught on body camera and called she out by the chief, because who knows? Yeah. Who knows? So bless her heart, man, for doing the most difficult thing you can do and try to step in with one of your colleagues that is responsible for your safety. Um, and a supervisor. In, in approved evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably does her, her yearly evaluations and writes up commendations. You took that person on toe to toe. Doing is going beyond what needs to be done. Yeah. So yeah, you make a great point. Well, and, and, um, Florida, and I didn't know this until I watched that video and read uh, read the articles, Florida had just passed a law where if you're a law enforcement officer and you're on scene and you do nothing uh, during something like that, uh, you are not only civilly but criminally liable uh, for that. I don't know if it's Florida as a whole or the department or the jurisdiction that they were in, but it's something along the lines of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you drive a getaway car and in a robbery and somebody gets killed, it, especially in your state, the, the fry state of Texas. Um, you know, they'll fry you for that as being the getaway driver. Um, it's now their policy, which is if you're on scene and something like that's going on, you do nothing. You're just as responsible. And I think that has to do with the George Floyd uh, uh uh, incident, which is, as you have now three officers that are going on trial this coming week that were just kind of standing around. Two of them were rookies. Two of them had under, under three months on the job. Um, uh, 
but it's it's tough to be that person that that turns around and goes, "All right, hold up, stop." Um, and I've been on scenes myself as an officer where another officer has kind of come to me and said, "Hey, listen, you should you should go for a walk." And you have to be cognizant of that to be like, "All right, yeah, if this if my fellow coworker is telling me that I'm up here and I need to be down here, I, I need to take that advice." Uh, and I feel for her. I really feel for her. And unfortunately, I think, um, I think she's she's probably she's probably going to be doing some training classes where she's going to be the instructor coming up soon because she's got some good insight, especially after all of this. Yeah, you know, and I, and I made mention to it in the book where transparency is the best disinfectant. And if you're yes. a police department, sheriff's department. We have a responsibility to the community that serve to be completely transparent, right? Yeah. That body cam can't be released during an investigation. However, we've changed the policy here in San Antonio. Uh, the sheriff's department here said, hey, we will release that video within 10 days, even though there's going to be an ongoing investigation. Wow. Because once you lose the trust, that you have with the community that you're serving would highly suggest you pick up a copy of Andy Harvey's book, Excellence in Policing, to find out what the result of losing will do when you're now dependent upon statutory authority. Yep. And it becomes Baltimore. It becomes, it just becomes a mess. And I think in ahead of these situations by saying, look, like you said earlier, you have to own your mental health. Right. You have to own what your officers do. And if they do something wrong, hey, we're not caught up in an emotionally charged environment sometimes where we will make the wrong decision based on losing the ability to reason and make our decision based on. And when that happens, mistakes get made to own these and tell the community, hey, we're going to do better. We're going to own yeah. this and we're going to learn from it. And we're going to do better. Yeah, and and that jurisdiction, I want to say that they they half got it got it right with the transparency part because they released the the body cam footage, but with no audio. Which I want I, body cam footage is kind of tough without the audio because you can't understand the context, can't understand her verbal communication with the supervisor now. Regardless of what the audio is, you never, ever put your hands on another officer like that. I, as a former supervisor, I've wanted to, <laughs> but you cannot do that. And then on top of that, you put your hand on her throat, which to me, I mean, this is just cop talk, to me is a comfort level that you're pretty comfortable with and you've done before. That is not something that you just all of a sudden just decided to do. That's something that's, I mean, it's bad. Yeah, that, yeah that, that move right there in law enforcement, you don't be throat grab, throat punch in the academy. Yeah. That is something that you learn, right, on the street when things really go bad and you really have nothing else to resort to and you're starting to fight for your life. That's yeah. when you see a movement like that. Um, and it's unfortunate, right? It's unfortunate because, again, in the world of social media, you will have this vicarious trauma 
take mm. place because everybody that views this is now going to say, right, wow, what is wrong with police officers? Why do they? And it's these are individual incidents that happen. And I'm mm. glad it was captured. Let's let's again, what are we going to do with this information? Um, are we going to start incorporating better training like in, in an advanced crisis intervention training course where maybe a fireman? shows up and starts to escalate a situation? Are you able to de-escalate that, that medic or that fireman or your cover officer that shows yep. up to throw gasoline on the fire? Like these are things, these are real conversations that we have to have. If you wanna, if you always wanna improve where you're at as a department, like Andy Harvey says, you can't be stagnant. You have to always be evolving uh, to be better. And yep. police training is very antiquated. Now there have been some improvements but I think there's a long way to go. Um, and I think we're just now starting to scratch the surface. And I, I pray that this, the book um, leads, gives insight to officers uh, who have had CIT training, that now you have something in your bag or something at home that you can refresh in your skills because these are diminishing skills. Or if you're a small agency, like I had an officer reach out to me and say, hey, I can't get to CIT because we only have 10 officers and they can't afford to send me to a week long class because of the mm -hmm. overtime. Well, then a book like this is liquid gold. There, I'll say that <laughs> without being misquoted. And this, you know, this should help you help guide you on how to deal with not just a mental health crisis, Nick, but how to connect with somebody that's emotionally charged or having a bad day, or maybe was just a victim of a crime and is hysterical. And you yep. need to try to calm them down so you can get information. Like this is the book, I think, that can help you sharpen your skills to be able to better yourself as as a first responder. And a little spoiler alert, will will we see one or several more versions of this book in the future? A ratified versions of these books? So as much as I'm not a LeBron James fan, let me do this. Oh, jeez. There won't be one. There won't be two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's well, we talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it once. I'll tell you, you know, what was tough enough. Well, it was funny because I've done collaborations now. Um, I think this is my third or fourth collaboration. And what I've really tried to do with these books is folks that I'm really good friends with that have been with me through all the transition of the, the crap that I've gone through over the last couple of years always have aspired to write books. And they're kind of right at that line where they're going to write a book and then they, they pull back. And so I partner up with them like uh, Logan Campbell, really good guy. I partner up with them and I say, just write my last chapter for me. Just dabble your foot in the water and write my last chapter for me. I did it for my wife as well before she put her own book out. I said, write the last chapter for me. And it gets you comfortable. And so when when we put the book together, which was a really weird time because COVID was going on, and I had lost uh, – there was a big snowstorm here in Virginia where I am, and I lost power for four days. And those of you that have ever lost power – it sucks, uh, but it's even worse if it goes on longer than a day uh, because it's cold 
my house was about 30, 35 degrees. I have cats. I don't know if you know this. I have cats that are naked. They have no hair. Um, so they're cold uh, and, and they have to like warm up. And wood was very scarce. So we started burning furniture like in the house. It was almost like the Walking Dead uh, scenario where um, I needed gas for my generator and my area was completely sold out of gas because everybody rushed the gas stations. So I took off and I went to a gas station literally 15 miles away, but took me four hours to get there and back because the traffic was so bad from the snowstorm. I came back and my wife had burned a desk, chairs, stools. She just started burning, like, she just started having a fire. Like, it was just crazy. Um, and then at the same time, I started to not feel well. And I chalked it up to, it's 35 degrees in my house. I'm freezing. And you and I were communicating with each other. And we were like, you know, we'll get this book wrapped up. So I would charge my laptop in the generator, like from the generator, and write this book. And I was communicating with you. I was like, hey, um, this might be a while because I have no power. And then the power came on after four days, and my sickness was even worse. Like it was like beyond anything I've ever had. So, of course, I took a COVID test and tested positive for COVID. And... Those of you that have not had it yet, um, I don't want to give a spoiler or alert. It's terrible. Um, I lost Ernie for a second. Uh, I was uh, I left off uh, after I got my power back. I wasn't feeling really like it was really really bad, and so I took a at home COVID test and it popped positive. And so I messaged Ernie and I said, "Hey, <laughs> I'm almost done with the book." But I have COVID, uh, and I really don't feel well. And you, I mean, you've had it, right? Oh, man, why don't you just HIPAA violate everything here? No. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I had it damn near the same time you did. So You a, recovered a, couple, a lot quicker. A of, yeah, a couple of things to, to points to what you said was, yeah, we, it's amazing the amount of writing you can do when you have nothing else to do but think. <laughs> but... I'm listening to your story and I'm like, damn, like that's brutal. But one year ago on Valentine's day in Texas, we had the blizzard of Oz, right? I mean, Texas, it became like a glacier. I don't know how to explain it. Like and you guys don't get snow. It, you don't get snow. Okay. So you guys yeah, weren't prepared I, with, yeah. you don't have yeah, winter. San Antonio. Yeah. So yeah. you guys weren't even prepared. No, but I'm prepared now. Yeah. My, yeah. my ass went out and bought an RV with a generator and a 40-gallon propane tank. I dare it. I dare it to snow again. You're such a cop. You're such a cop because you're such a cop because now for me, I have first of all, I'm from New York City. I don't know how to measure a, a wood order. Have you have you ever ordered wood before? It comes in yard. What are you talking about? Right, right, exactly. So you're me two weeks ago when I called up and I said, hey, uh, I want to order wood for my fireplace to have it, and I'll put a tarp over it. And they were like, well, how many yards? I'm like, yards? 
They'll, yeah, you order it in yards. I said, so I'm thinking in my set, my, my head, a yard stick. Like, so I was like, I don't want one yard because I know how much fire I went through. So let me order three yards of wood, Ernie. This truck pulled up and they must have cut down half of the, the rainforest because this thing is 35 feet long and 25 feet wide. I've got enough wood for the next 17 years. Like I should have researched it better, but I panicked and I said, let me just order yards. And then I ordered another generator and then I ordered four more gas cans. I, I just went crazy. I just went survival. Mo- and then I bought MREs too, <coughs> by the way, because during the no power, we didn't have the generator that I had. When you turn on the microwave, the microwave kind of worked. It went into like a wave of like heat and then stop heat, heat. So literally we had nothing to eat other than going outside and using the propane grill. So I bought MREs. I, I didn't know what else to do. So I'm like you. I dare. No, actually, I'm not. Because the likelihood of Virginia getting another snowstorm is a lot higher than yours. But I am I am a lot better prepared to do it. Um, but my my rant was that the last part of my part that I wrote was at the end of COVID for me. And the reason why I was I was telling the story in the beginning was you, Campbell, my wife, um, uh, Den- D- Dennis Prophet, uh, all the guys that I've partnered up with that have done a chapter here or there or have split it up. It's always interesting. Once you hit submit on Amazon, the, um, hey, I should have written this or, hey, I should have included this or there's more information that I could have packed in there. It's like when you send an email, it's, it's gone. You can't bring it back. And it was interesting because I would tell, I was telling you, I was like, this is the book is going to do good. And you, I don't know. I don't know. I was like, trust me, it's going to do good. I've had a good track record so far. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. This was a little bit odd because the soft cover and hard cover came out first before the ebook. And typically that, that, that does not happen. It's supposed to be the reversed. And typically soft cover and hard covers don't go to number one new releases. It's just with our category with law enforcement, mental health stuff and mental health books, they typically do not go number one. The only one that's ever gone number one for me was the first one. Every other one has not. The one you, you and I wrote did and it stayed number one new release. So, uh, which is really awesome because there's so many books out there. There's over 74 million books on Amazon. So for it to be number one new release and on the bestseller list, it was, you know, it's in the top 10 on the bestseller list is I can't thank those of you that have already bought it or that are about to buy it. Thank you so much. Um, but it was fun to see your excitement go through. Like, I'm sure it was like for you, it was like probably anxiety central, like wondering if it was going to do yeah. well. Yeah, so you completely took me out of my comfort zone when when we were talking about the book because you know, I have a hard time saying no to something that's good and <laughs> I knew this was good. 
Yeah. But I'm again, my PhD is a post hole digger in the garage. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that guy, right? That so I'm like, you know what? If I say yes, then I'm committed. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 the pig for breakfast, right? I'm committed. I'm not the egg, man. The chicken's gonna live another day. So I said, yeah, let's do this. And you're right. I think what's important for your listeners to know is we did not talk about, hey, what are you gonna write? No, it was I, weird. I, just, I, I wrote and I said, I'm going to send it to you. And I hope I didn't step on your toes because I had no idea what yeah. you were going to talk about. And I think it's so important because we have so many, we have different learned and life experiences that this book could have been so thick, right? Yes. But yes. this is just a foundational book of information, right? So, and we've, I have had tremendous response on Twitter and LinkedIn. That's the only two platforms I'm on. I have no idea what it looks like on Facebook and Instagram. But for I'm being told um, it's doing it's it's doing very well on social media across all platforms. So yes. um, it's just I am humbled. I am thankful to you, Nick, for Thank taking you. me out of my man. If I get emotional here, man, you're going to have to hang on. But I am extremely grateful of our friendship. Number one. We go back years now. I am thankful that you even entrusted me to ask me to be a part of this project. I am humbled uh, that you took a chance on me knowing I've never written anything before saying, let's do this. And the, the joy and the excitement that me and my family have experienced the last God, 72 hours. I don't know, that book's been number one now for a while. I, yeah. I don't know how, I don't have the words to everyone who has supported this. I get messages I, and, I, and I answer, if anybody follows me on Twitter, I answer everybody. Like it, yeah. it, it takes a while, but I will the same there, way, I, man. I will, yeah, man, I'm, you take the time to message me. I'm going to take the time to message you. It's, it's courtesy. It's, it's, yes. it's how it should be. Right. But for you to do this. And, and for the book to do well, it just means it's bigger than you and me, right? The it's, message is bigger than you and me, which it should be. And it should be uh, used to help officers, first responders, um, managers of, of sales businesses. I mean, it, it's a book on de-escalation, communication, um, understanding, knowing, understanding what sympathy and empathy is and the importance of connection and compassion. And that that has been missing in law enforcement for a long time. And my 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 prayer is that it brings that back to where it should be, to where officers knew the people in their district, they knew the business owners, they knew the kids' names playing on the corner. And we need to get back to that. I, I miss those days. I, I can't agree with you more. Um so the strategy that I that that I had with putting these books out and doing these collaborative things was I didn't want folks that have written uh, a lot of books before. If you wrote a book before, great. Um, but I wanted people that were out of their comfort zone because you and I have been through a lot of law enforcement trainings and you can always tell on the first day of the class when you're sitting there and the, and the instructor goes through their credentials and you're like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy into this class because it's too much. They're more into academia than they are, or, you know, they weren't boots on the ground, or this is just 
a stepping stone for them or I want the rawness. I want the rawness. I want somebody that um, is doing it for the right reason. I, I, and, and, you know, you and I have had this conversation offline. We're not getting rich off of these books. Like they're, they're number one, but like me and you are not on a yacht with Oprah. Like, you, you know, you don't get rich off of these books. Um, and if anything, they, they, they cost you money. It's, you have to truly have a passion for wanting to put good content out. Um, because it's, it's a, it's a big investment, your time investment, your family's investment, everything. Um, and I can truly say this. This is my, I think, sixth book that I put out. This is the best performing book that I've been a part of since Police Mental Barricade. Um, and by the way, I'm completely derelict in my job. Um, we've mentioned, we keep calling, calling it the book, the book, the book. It's called Mental Health and De-Escalation, a Guide for Law Enforcement Professionals. Um, I just looked it up as you and I are talking in the mental health law category right now on the new release section. Um, it is number one, number three, number six, and number seven. That's crazy, crazy, crazy. So if you go to the section, you can actually scroll and you're, I mean, it's, we're, we're in there. Like it's, it's phenomenal. And again, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I think everybody that's bought it and that's about to buy it. And I thank you because it's tough, man. It's tough to turn around and put your, put yourself out there and not know, uh, if one person is going to buy the thing, but I will tell it, say this, um, I'm going to give away 10 e-copies, uh, to those that are listening to this, uh, episode. 10 free e-copies. All you got to do is email me at nick at rollcallroom.com and I will send you over an Amazon link for you to get the free Kindle version of the book. Um, so that's 10 of them I'm going to give away. Um, so get on it. I'm sure if it's over 10, I'll still send it. I don't know why I just cap it at 10 anyway. But if you're from Canada, unfortunately, it doesn't work. So you're going to have to you have to dig in the couch and find 99 cents and buy it on Amazon Canada because I, I, they don't give me free stuff for Canada. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, I got to look at my list because I write lists now, Ernie. Uh, yep. We talked about. So in your, in your opinion, your, your ear is low to the ground. Are we seeing command staff right now starting to take, um, you know, CIT and peer support more seriously because of the um, the suicides that we've had, the large amount of suicide. Thankfully, last year is one of the one of the lowest that we've had. Um, are we seeing command staff or chiefs of police or sheriffs embracing it truly, or are they embracing it because it's a checkbox? That's always my fear: is that it's just a checkbox. I think we are seeing a shift, and this is why. So I traveled to several places uh, last year, speaking at different conferences. And one of the conferences I spoke at, Nick, was a police social worker. We're now clinicians that are being paired with law enforcement, and they're either riding out to crisis calls in progress, or they're being utilized as a follow-up unit to yeah. officers that have answered crisis calls so there's a group of these clinicians now that are big enough to have their own conference. 
Mm. So I was asked to go out there and speak to them. And the amount of police officers, supervisors, and a, and a shout out to Chief um, Elliot Moya from the Elliot Main Police Department. He was there. He's, you know, the, they're pioneers out there now. They're starting, the dinosaurs are starting to go extinct. And the <laughs> new breed is coming up. And I, there is hope out there on the horizon. There's hope for behind the badge and there's hope for community. And yeah. I think that is so important because we are all in the community. There, this, this thin blue line, you know, I, I, I get it. But if you draw a line, then that says, hey, somebody's on that side and somebody's on this side. We yeah. live in a community together. My daughter goes to school in the community. I mm -hmm. shop for groceries in the community, right? The police officers out there patrol my street in my community. So we need to all start to understand that this is an important topic. Yep. And we are seeing a decrease in suicides, praise God. Yeah. We are seeing a different type of response to mental health crisis calls that are happening. I know this because my job now where I work is I start to build these teams for police departments where That's I get clinicians, I get medics, and I put them in a car with an officer and in plain clothes, they go out and respond to these calls. That way you have a three head approach to these mm -hmm. crisis calls. You have an officer there for safety. You have a medic there in case it's a medical emergency, because we know that mental health calls can mimic, um, you know, a medical emergency and, and mental health can look alike. If you don't know the difference, maybe it's drug induced, who knows, but then you have a clinician there and that clinician is so key to the situation because that's going to be your individual that will link that person in crisis to future services and to follow up. And that's what we've been missing. That's the piece of the pie yep. that we have fallen short for so long as first responders, but it wasn't our, it wasn't our problem because we didn't get to pick and choose what calls we went to. If yep. you got dispatched to a mental health call, you couldn't get on the radio and say, nah, I'll take that disturbance holding in my area. I don't want to deal with that because I don't know how to deal with it. You had to go. So yeah. we were not properly equipped to handle it, but we're getting there now. And I love what I do for a living now. That's awesome. To see, yeah, to see communities embrace this and saying, finally, right? It, finally, you're listening. Like this is not defund the police. This is let's reorganize a little bit. Fix and it. Look at what the priorities are and fix yep. it. Yeah, fix you're it. absolutely right. And I and I I agree with you. I went to a conference. Um, down in Southern Virginia with your with your your buddy uh, your cat part over there uh, Joe, uh, which which was which was uh, fun because um, he he was before me like he did his and he's a phenomenal public speaker, which sucks for me because and what gets even worse I don't know if you know this Ernie so I go down to this conference and I took my wife with me it was my first time I was going to publicly speak about my first book. And about suicide and stuff like that. So I was nervous. And this was a two-day conference, two-day two, two day conference. So I get there early. And uh, they had told me that I was the last speech for the second day, which sucks because you hold everybody hostage. And then the other thing is you don't know who's going to stick around. You know, like I could be talking to an empty freaking room, you know. So I get there and I am sit down and on the first – uh, on the first day and I open up the pamphlet and it says keynote speaker, Nicholas Ruggiero. 
And I turn to my wife and I go, what the fuck? Like, they didn't tell me that. Like, I didn't prepare anything. I was just going to go up there and free ball it. Like, I wasn't just going to. And then Joe goes up there before me and, like, knocks it out of the park with all of his graphics and 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 PowerPoints that he has. And um, then I went on and I, and I, and you can tell that the, the, the receptiveness from these folks, um, it was about mental health and how leadership and law enforcement has a big, huge impact in the mental health of officers because it does. Um, a lot of officers are not leaving the job because of the anti-police movement out on the street. A lot of them are leaving from the internal politics of law enforcement right now. A lot of them don't want to stick around because they know their their bosses don't have their back or they're just there's just folks that are not in law enforcement have no idea the internal politics that happen behind closed doors. Um, it's everywhere. It's not just in Alexandria where I worked. It's not just in D.C. or the NYPD or LAPD. It doesn't even matter what size. It doesn't matter what size. I live in a community that has their own private police department of five officers, and they just went through an inner turmoil where almost all of them are gone because they couldn't get along with each other. There's such infighting that they couldn't get along with each other. Um, and it's a culture thing. And that's a, that's a book that, um, that I'm going to be writing with a former coworker of mine, um, uh, Sam. Her and I are going to write a book together called, um, eating or eating our own surviving within law enforcement. And it's a book dedicated on staying away from those pitfalls and uh, being a mentor, specifically female to female. Uh, and the reason why I picked her is because she's a fe- she was a female in law enforcement. She's part of the LGBTQ community and females have a very, very tough time um, finding mentors that are other females. They tend to, um, once they get to a level of command staff or, 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 or right around there, they don't help each other. They, they don't ha- grab each other and elevate them up to that level. They're just like, well, I got here on my own. You're going to get here on your own. Sad. It's, it's a very sad thing. And it's not just females. Guys do it too. So I'm not singling out females. So please don't send me me too stuff, all right? Um, I'm all for law enforcement, females in law enforcement. Uh, so, um, went on another tangent, man. See, this is what happened when I got off my medication. Well, I got something to make you feel better about your experience speaking after Joe. Yeah. So about 10 years ago, I get asked to go out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, voluntarily. No, no. (laughs) The chief said, said, Hey, I need you to go out there to Tulsa and just, I don't know, talk about CIT. And I'm like, okay. Free trip. I didn't even know what the conference was called. Never saw any white paper, like nothing, knew nothing. So I show up and um, I get to the hotel. They're like, hey, you're going to just speak tomorrow. I don't know, whatever time it was, two in the afternoon. And then we'll have somebody uh, close it down. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I show up a little bit early and I'm told, hey, uh, we're going to change the schedule and I'm still talking out in the hallway, haven't even been into the conference room. Um, you're actually going to have to close it down oh, because the, the, the speaker going last had to change his flight. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, like, all right, that's fine. 
they open up these double doors, Nick. There are 800 people what? at the Zorro Foundation Conference. Patrick Kennedy what? Is, the, is the keynote speaker that's supposed to close it down. He has to take my spot, and now I've got to close it down. So I have to speak after Patrick Kennedy. Oh, my he God. sounds like a Kennedy. He looks like a Kennedy. Yeah. And I'm like, what in the hell am I going to? He gets up there and he's talking about mental health parity and all these legislative bills that he's signing. That, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. So yeah. I'm calling my wife and I'm like, this is bad. And she's like, no, 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 you you, you got this, baby. You, know, you just speak from the heart. And I'm like, all right. So he says, um, you know, to make change, um, one individual can't do it alone, right? It takes a community and that causes a wave in the ocean and that wave becomes a tidal wave. Right, just like it sounds like him. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so I get up there, he's leaving. Um, everybody's clapping for him. I get up there and I said, you know, I, I took a chance at this. I'm like, you know, I've fantastic speaker, Senator Kennedy, thank you so much for your words of wisdom, uh, safe travels. Um, he walks out and I said, but you know, I do have to disagree with something he said. And it, you know, you could have started to hear like crickets. I'm like, oh, oh no. Yeah, I said, you know, he said it takes you know, a village. And, but to be honest with you in San Antonio, one person, one person spoke up mm -hmm. at a training I went to and she said, and I've said it before, somebody's going to, one of you officers is going to show up and shoot and kill my son because you don't know how to deal with mental health and he's going to scare you. And when she said that, I was like, man, that's not right. So I went to go talk to her afterwards and she looked me dead in my eyes, Nick. And she goes, then what are you going to do about it? Are you going to do something? So that one person lit a fire in me that in my mind, I'm like, I don't know how this is going to look, but I'm going to start a mental health unit in San Antonio. And I'm not going to take no for an answer. And I got told no a lot for yeah. years, for almost five years. And you know, in law enforcement, you're only allowed to be as smart as your rank. Yep. So if it's not a chief's idea, it's not going to happen. So at a legislative breakfast, the chief was asked by, by uh, the, the president of the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Hey, Chief, are you thinking about starting a mental health unit? And I'm sitting at the table going, oh, crap. Like, I did not <laughs> put the president up to this. And he said, actually, we're going to start a pilot project, and, and Officer Steven sitting over there is going to lead this effort. And I'm like, like, I had no clue how to even do this. But it was one person, Nick. It was one person who challenged me to say, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to change things? And my answer was, I don't know at this moment but I'm going to figure it out. So, you know, when I said that and, and I got off stage, it was amazing to get a standing ovation because I'm not smart enough to talk to 800 people about mental health. I don't have the education, but what I do know this, I've got this, I've got a heart for community. I've mm -hmm. got a heart for people that mm -hmm. I will willingly as an officer lay down my life. For, if I was ever asked to do that and placed in the situation, I would have done it Yep. Um, without thinking twice. But my position now became start advocating for those that don't have a voice or mental health and help them and give them resources and treat them with dignity and respect. And that's where we're at now. And, and I was so thankful for that opportunity. And it's, and it's very fulfilling. I, I can't publicly say on my end what I got going on behind closed. You, and, you know, because I've told you. Uh, but I'm, for the first time in two years, I'm, I'm, I'm finally at a place where I feel like 
the impact that I'm going to make in law enforcement is going to be gigantic. Um, and I'm very happy about it. Uh, but to go back to just very, very quick, I was so nervous at that conference. And, you know, Joe's done, Joe travels all the time. Like he's so comfortable. And, you know, um, we, we had like, um, He's been on my show, but he was secretly on my show because you guys were still working and he had to hide where he worked. Um, so I was messaging you and I was like, Hey, you're, I'm, I'm at your buddy. I'm with your buddy. And, and I won't say what you said, but, uh, so I'm so nervous. I go up on stage and, you know, I'm all about humor. You know that, right? So I go up there and I'm like, just so everybody knows, uh, in case you're confused, um, Joe and I are not twins. He's got a good face. He's Dude. got a good face. Crickets. Crickets. So I'm like looking around. My wife's recording this thing, by the way, because I'm like, record this thing because I want to see how much of a disaster it is. And um, crickets, dude. So like then I just start going into like my story. I start going into like what happened with my old department and starting a podcast about mental health. And then I could start seeing heads start shaking and going like, you know, like I can't, I can't believe you went through all this stuff. And then I go through like, you know, suicide and stuff like that. Same thing at the end of it, standing ovation. People came up to me afterwards. I met, um, Dennis Prophet, who's doing, um, uh, we're doing a book together. Um, just I met some really cool people because of that. Uh, Virginia, uh, DCJS. Um, I'll be doing stuff with them uh, again. I want to do speaking engagements and stuff. And, um, all pro bono, man. Like I didn't charge DCJS. Like, and they were shocked. They were the person who put it on was like, you know, what's your fee? And I was like, a hotel. I, I don't, I mean, just, a, I, I just enjoy doing it. I, I, I really, really enjoy doing what we do. I enjoy putting books out. I'm already thinking of new ideas for, you know, version two of, of this book. Um, I think, uh, we're in a COVID age where training is very difficult to get 20 people in a room, but you can do a zoom with 50 people, uh, and do a one hour, uh, course or a one hour speaking. Um, and that's something that might wind up happening with this, with this particular book. I just think that there's such a, a need for it. People are just so hungry for it, um, that we're, we're going to see different versions of this book and, and, and some other things. So. I think it's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Again, thank you for the opportunity. I know we're winding down now. For listeners, if you haven't got a copy of Mental Health and De-Escalation, a guide for law enforcement professionals, grab one on Amazon. I'm, I'm waiting for our shipment to come in. Yep. Um, and, and ladies and gentlemen, please take your mental health seriously. There's no shame in the game. Um, we all struggle. This, the last couple of years has sucked ass. Everybody. Um but don't let that define us, right? We, we are resilient. We are human beings that are resilient and we know how to survive and we're gonna survive. Um, but you need to have the tools in place. Um, you know, I, I hope that the book provides you those tools. I hope that having discussions and, and just being vulnerable and authentic about really who you are and allowing people to see you and, and understand your struggles where you don't feel like you're gonna be judged. I hope that you get that feeling. And you're always welcome to reach out to me um, if you just need somebody that will listen, not judge and not tell you what you need, but just listen. 
And I know Nick, you've made yourself available in the past. So again, thank you so much for this opportunity. I look forward to collaborating with you again in the near future, my friend. Same, bud. Uh, so I'm going to give the details again. Uh, you can go on Amazon um, and get an ebook. You can get soft cover, hard cover. Um, you can reach out to uh, Ernie. He'll have uh, soft covers uh, the beginning of February. I'll have soft covers. Uh, we're really going to try and do a dual signature on some of them. Uh, there may be some that just have mine or just his, but we're trying to you know, collaborate by doing that. Um, you can go on uh, mentalhealthbarricade.com. That's the other thing. You can get the books that are already out. Um, hardcovers will not be out until like end of February, I think early March. They take a really long time. Um, but in the meantime, I've got 10 ebooks. Uh, I'm, I'll give them out. Uh, email me at nick at rollcallroom.com and, um, you know, we'll get them out to you. Uh, and, um, you know, I'll just, Say what I, what what Ernie said. I I fully agree with, which is you know own own your uh, mental health, um and understand. I mean, I've been doing this now. I just can't even believe it. I've been doing this for two years, uh, with the podcast and stuff. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails. So if you think that you're the only one that's thinking about, um, you know, being depressed or, or your career's going nowhere or you've put in for special units and you've watched people that don't even write one ticket get it and hookups and, you know, promotions that you've put in for and, and, you know, family life isn't going well and, and you're not, trust me, you are not alone. I can tell you stories of, of, of fans that have sent emails saying the same exact thing. Um, and, don't be afraid of medication. I have said it a million times. Uh, and I say that, which is don't be afraid of medication because you don't need to, you don't need to tell anybody that you're under medication ever, period. Uh, it's not something that you're required to, to divulge. So, uh, which I was very naive about when I was going through my stuff. So, uh, say that publicly. Ernie, it's been a pleasure. We're going to have to do this again. Um, maybe Mike, um, I know he's got a My Little Pony conference next week or something, so uh, we'll get we'll get him somehow on the show. Um, but uh, a pleasure, bud. Uh, I was stoked that you wanted to do it again, and um, let's uh, let's keep them updated on how well the book does. All right, we'll do, man. Thank you so much. All right, folks, uh, be safe out there. Take good care of each other, and um, as always. Uh, Take it easy. Gee, I am very tired. How tired are you? Very tired. I've been working a lot of overtime and it is making me very tired. You, my friend, need some sleep. No, I will sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> what I need is a good cup of freshly roasted gourmet coffee. Freshly roasted gourmet coffee, you say? Yes. Do you know where I could get a cup of freshly roasted gourmet coffee? I do. Where? The Roll Call Room Cafe. The Roll Call Room Cafe? The Roll Call Room Cafe. 
It's located at 17229 Wayside Drive in Dumfries, Virginia. The Roll Call Room Cafe uses only the finest premium gourmet beans and unlike national chains, the Roll Call Room Cafe imports, roasts, grinds, and packages their coffee on site. Sounds delicious, Roland. It is. But Roland, I'm in Nebraska. No problem there. You can order their coffee online at www.rollcallroomcafe.com. Rollcallroomcafe.com? Rollcallroomcafe.com. 